Father, what a privilege and an honor it is to know you. It is the greatest gift in the world. There is none greater than to be called one of your own. To be able to call you Abba, Father, and for you to call us your children, and for you to call us friend, and for you to call us heirs, joint heirs with your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I want to say thank you for counting it not robbery to be a part of your family, to be in your presence when we pray with you and throughout the day and when we sing praises to you, we can have a really strong relationship with you. So, Lord, as we continue our journey in this book, keep us mindful of that. Allow us to have joy in the midst of sorrow. Allow us to be able to look to the hills from whence cometh our help. Our help comes from you. Um, be with us as we read this book. Be with us um, as we listen to me read this book. Be with us as we are tossed to the waves with trials and tribulations in this life. Your word says in this life you will have tribulation, but take heart. For I have overcome the world. Lord, we appreciate you. Lord, we honor you. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. It is in your precious son, Jesus' name. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, um, this is Keith, and you are listening to I Pray This Helps. I appreciate you for being here, and hopefully we can continue to learn together. This is not our first episode, and prayerfully it will not be our last, as we are still journeying in the book called mere christianity now if you're starting here that's nice that's fine but this again this is a free podcast so if you don't mind and if you if you feel like you're getting lost then i would encourage you to go back to the beginning of this series i've entitled each and every single one of them mere christianity so as you scroll down or scroll up it'll be the last or first one that you see there Today, we continue um, our reading in book two of this book um, and chapter two called The Invasion. Now, I'm going to attempt to finish the the book within this book. So we're not going to finish the book itself. So when I say the book, I don't mean a book, but we we might attempt to finish maybe two chapters, two or three chapters, depending on how long it is. I'm going to check right now. If you have any thoughts on this book, anything that it's like, man, I don't know if I agree with this. Please do not hesitate to let me know. Please do not. Please um come to me with all of your questions. Um, I can be found at, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's about four more chapters in here or three more chapters. I don't know. We'll go until I get tired, but please, um, I love answering questions. I love not knowing the answer and then finding the answer. Um, you can find me at on Instagram. You can find me at um, what is my title? Uh, Robe, R-O-B-E, period, the, period, K-X-N-G. On Instagram, you can email me at freshairlife 
at gmail.com fresh h-e-i-r-l-i-f-e at gmail.com or you can write to our p.o box at p.o box 302 woodbridge new jersey 07095 i would love to talk to you guys and answer you guys' questions about this also don't forget to um like and subscribe and um you know, write in the comment section of whatever podcast platform that you're using about this podcast, rate us and all of that type of stuff. We love it and it benefits our podcast and it helps us get out to other people. So if you're benefiting from this, if you are being blessed by this, then help us get out to other people so that I can bless them also. All right. Without any further ado, we will continue our reading um, of mere Christianity. The Invasion, Book 2, Chapter 2. Very well then, atheism is too simple. And I will tell you another view that is also too simple. It is the view I call Christianity in Water. The view which simply says there is a good God in heaven and everything is all right. Leaving out all the difficult and terrible doctrines about sin and hell and the devil and the redemption. Both these are boys' philosophies. It is no good asking for a simple religion. After all, real things are not simple. They look simple, but they are not. The table I am sitting at looks simple, but ask a scientist to tell you what it's really made of. All about the atoms and how the light waves rebound from them and hit my eye and what they do to the optic nerve and what it does to my brain. And of course, you find what we all call seeing a table lands you in mysteries and complications, which you can hardly get to the end of. A child saying a child's prayer looks simple. And if you are content to stop there, well and good. But if you are not in the modern world usually is not, if you want to go on and ask what is really happening, then you must be prepared for something difficult. If we ask for something more than simplicity, it is silly then to complain that the something more is not simple. Very often, however, this is silly procedure. This silly procedure is adopted by people who are not silly, but who consciously or unconsciously want to destroy Christianity. Some people put up a version of Christianity suitable for a child of six and make that the object of their attack. When you try to explain the Christian doctrine as it, it really as it is really held by a instructed adult, they then complain that you are making their heads turn around and that it is all too complicated and that if there really were a God, they are sure he would have made quote unquote religion simple because simplicity is so beautiful, etc. You must be on your guard against these people for they will change their ground every minute and only waste your time. Notice too, their idea of God making religion simple, as if religion were something God invented and not his statement to us for certain quite unadulterable facts about his own nature. 
Besides being complicated, reality in my experience is usually odd. It is not neat, not obvious, not what you expect. For instance, when you have grasped that the earth and the other planets all go round the sun, you would naturally expect that all the planets were made to match. All at equal distances from each other, say, or distances that regularly increased or all the same size or else getting bigger or smaller as you go further from the sun. In fact, you find no rhyme or reason that we can see about either the sizes or the distances. And some of them have one moon, one has four, one has two, some have none, and one has a ring. Reality, in fact, is usually something you could not have guessed. That is one of the reasons I believe Christianity. It is a religion you could not have guessed. If it offered us just the kind of universe we had always expected, I should feel we were making it up. But in fact, it is not the sort of thing anyone could have made up. It has just that queer twist about it that real things have. So let us leave behind all these boys' philosophies, these over-simple answers. The problem is not simple, and the answer is not going to be simple either. What is the problem? A universe that contains much that is obviously bad and apparently meaningless, but containing creatures like ourselves who know that it is bad and meaningless. There are only two views that face all the facts. One is the Christian view that is a good world that has a good wrong that has gone wrong. But still remains the memory of what it ought to have been. The other is the view called dualism. Dualism means the belief that there are two equal and independent powers at the back of everything. One of them good and the other bad. And that this universe is the battlefield in which they fight out an endless war. I I personally think that next to Christianity, dualism is the manliest and most sensible creed on the market. But it has a catch in it. The two powers or spirits or gods, the good one and the bad one are supposed to be quite independent. They both existed from all eternity. Neither of them made the other. Neither of them has any more right than the other to call itself God. Each presumably thinks it is good and thinks the other bad. One of them likes hatred and cruelty. The other likes love and mercy. And each backs his own view. Now, What do we mean when we call one of them the good power and the other the bad power? Either we are merely saying that we happen to prefer the one to the other, like preferring beer to cider, or else we are saying that whatever the two powers think about it and whichever we humans at the moment happen to like, one of them is actually wrong, actually mistaken. It regarding itself as good. Now, If we mean merely that we happen to prefer the first, then we must give up talking about good and evil at all. For good means what you ought to prefer quite regardless of what you happen to like at any given moment. 
If being good meant simply joining the side you happen to fancy for no real reason, then good would not deserve to be called good. So we must mean that one of the two powers is actually wrong and the other actually right. But the moment you say that, you are putting into the universe a third thing in addition to the two powers, some law or standard or rule of good, which one of the powers conforms and the other fails to conform to. But since the two powers are judged by this standard, then this standard or the being who made this standard is farther back and higher up than either of them. And he will be the real God. In fact, what we meant by calling them good and bad turns out to be that one of them is in a right relation to the real ultimate God and the other in a wrong relation to him. The same point can be made in a different way. If dualism is true, then the bad power must be a being who likes badness for its own sake. But in reality, we have no experience of anyone liking badness just because it is bad. The nearest we can get to it is in cruelty. But in real life, people are cruel for one of two reasons. Either because they are sadists, that is because they have a sexual perversion, which makes cruelty a cause for sensual pleasure to them. Or else for the sake of something they are getting are going to get out of it money or power or safety but pleasure money power and safety are all as far as they go good things the badness consists in pursuing them by the wrong method or in the wrong way or too much i do not mean of course that the people who do this are not desperately wicked I do mean that wickedness, when you examine it, turns out to be the pursuit of some good in the wrong way. You can be good for the mere sake of goodness. You cannot be bad for the mere sake of badness. You can do a kind action when you are not feeling kind and when it gives you no pleasure, simply because kindness is right. But no one ever did a cruel action simply because cruelty is wrong, only because cruelty was pleasant or useful to him. In other words, badness could not succeed even in being bad in the same way in which goodness is good. Goodness is, so to speak, itself. Badness is only spoiled goodness. And there must be something good first before it can be spoiled. We call sadism a sexual perversion, but you must first have the idea of normal sexuality before you can talk of its being perverted. And you can see which is the perversion because you can explain the perverted from the normal and cannot explain the normal from the perverted. It follows that this bad power, which is supposed to be on an equal footing with the good power and to the love and to love badness in the same way as the good power loves goodness is a mere boggy. In order to be bad, he must have good things to want and then to pursue in the wrong way. He must have impulses which were originally good in order to be able to pervert them. But if he is bad, he cannot, simp he cannot supply himself either with good things to desire or with good impulses to pervert. 
he must be getting both from the good power. And if so, then he is not independent. He is part of the good power's world. He was made either by the good power or by some power above them both. Put it more simply still, to be bad, he must exist and have intelligence and will, but existence, intelligence, and will are in themselves good. Therefore, he must be getting them from the good power. Even to be bad, he must borrow or steal from his opponent. And do you now begin to see why Christianity has always said that the devil is a fallen angel? That is not a mere story for the children. It is a real recognition of the fact that evil is a parasite, not an original thing. The powers which enable evil to carry on are powers given by goodness. All the things which enable a bad man to be effectively bad are in themselves good things. Resolution, cleverness, good looks, existence itself. That is why dualism, in a strict sense, will not work. But I freely admit that real Christianity, as distinct from Christianity in water, goes from goes much nearer to dualism than people think. One of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament seriously was it talked so much about a dark power in the universe, a mighty evil spirit who was held to be the power behind death and disease and sin. The difference is that Christianity thinks this dark power was created by God and was good when he was created and went wrong. Christianity agrees with dualism that this universe is at war. But it does not think that this is a war between independent powers. It thinks it is a civil war, a rebellion, and that we are living in a part of the universe occupied by the rebel. Enemy occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in the skies and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. When you go to church, you are really listening in to the secret wireless from our friends. That is why the enemy is so anxious to prevent us from going. He does it by playing in our conceit and laziness and intellectual snobbery. I know someone will ask me, do you really mean at this time of day to reintroduce our old friend, the devil, hoofs and horns and all? Well, what the time of day has to do with it, I do not know. And I am not particular about the hoofs and horns. But in other respects, my answer is, yes, I do. I do not claim to know anything about his personal appearance. If anyone really wants to know him better, I would say to that person, don't worry. If you really want to, you will. Whether you'll like it when you do is another question. Chapter three, the shocking alternative. Christians then believe that an evil power has made himself for the present, the prince of this world. And of course, that raises problems. Is this state of affairs in accordance with God's will or not? If it is, he is a strange God, you will say. And if it is not, how can anything happen contrary to the will of a being with absolute power? 
But anyone who has been in authority knows how a thing can be in in accordance with your will in one way and not in another. It may be quite sensible for a mother to say to the children, I'm not going to go and make you tidy the schoolroom every night. You got to learn to keep it tidy on your own. Then she goes up one night and finds the teddy bear and the ink and the French grammar all lying in the gate in the grate. That is against her will. She would prefer the children to be tidy. But on the other hand, it is her will which she has left the children free to be untidy. The same thing arises in any regiment or trade union or school. You make a thing voluntary and then half the people do not do it. That is not what you willed, but your will has made it possible. It is probably the same in the universe. God created things which had free will. That means creatures which can go either wrong or right. Some people think they can imagine a creature which was free, but had no possibility of going wrong. I cannot. If a thing is free to be good, it is also free to be bad. And free will is what has made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. A world of automata, of creatures that work like machines, would hardly be worth creating. The happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is the happiness of being freely, voluntarily united to him and to each other in an ecstasy of love and delight compared with which the most rapturous love between a man and a woman on this earth is mere milk and water. And for that, they must be free. Of course, God knew what would happen if they used their freedom the wrong way. Apparently, he thought it worth the risk. Perhaps we feel inclined to disagree with him, but there is a difficulty about disagreeing with God. He is a source from which all your reasoning power comes. You cannot be right and he wrong any more than a stream can rise higher than its own source. When you are arguing against him, you are arguing against the very power that makes you able to argue at all. It is like cutting off the branch you are sitting on. If God thinks this state of war in the universe a price worth paying for free will, that is for making a live world in which creatures can do real good or harm or something of real importance can happen, instead of a toy world which only moves when he pulls the strings, then we may take it. It is a world. It is worth paying. When we have understood about free will we shall see how silly it is to ask as somebody once asked me why did god make make a creature of such rotten stuff that it went wrong the better stuff a creature is made of the cleverer and stronger and freer it is then the better it will be if it goes right but also the worse it will be if it goes wrong a cow cannot be good or very bad A dog can be both better and worse, a child better and worse still, an ordinary man still more so, a man of genius still more so, a superhuman spirit best or worst of all. 
How did the dark power go wrong? Here, no doubt, we ask a question to which human beings cannot give an answer with any certainty. A reasonable and traditional guess based on our own experiences of going wrong can, however, be offered. The moment you have a self at all, there is a possibility of putting yourself first, wanting to be the center, wanting to be God, in fact. That was the sin of Satan, and that was the sin he taught the human race. Some people think the fall of man has something to do with sex, but that is a mistake. The story in the book of Genesis rather suggests that some corruption in our sexual nature followed the fall and was its result, not its cause. What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods. Because set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The reason why it can never succeed is this. God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on patrol and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. That is the key to history. Terrific energy is expended. Civilizations are built up. Excellent institutions devised. But each time something goes wrong. Some fatal flaw always brings the selfish and cruel people to the top. And it all slides back into misery and ruin. In fact, the machine conks. It seems to start up all right and runs a few yards and then it breaks down. They are trying to run it on the wrong juice. That is what Satan has done to us humans. And what did God do? First of all, he left us conscious, the sense of right and wrong. And all through history, there have been people trying, some of them very hard, to obey it. None of them ever quite succeeded. Secondly, he sent the human race what I call good dreams. I mean those queer stories scattered all through the heathen religions about a God who dies and comes to life again and then by his death has somehow given new life to men. Thirdly, he selected one particular people and spent several centuries hammering into their heads the sort of God he was, that there was only one of him and that he cared about right conduct. Those people were the Jews, and the Old Testament gives an account of the hammering process. Then comes the real shock. Among these Jews, were certain, there suddenly turns up a man who goes about talking as if he was God. 
He claims to forgive sins. He says he has always existed. He says he is coming to judge the world at the end of time. Now let us get this clear. Among pantheists, like the Indians, anyone might say that he was a part of God or one with God. There would be nothing very odd about it. But this man, since he was a Jew, could not mean that kind of God. God in their language meant the being outside the world who had made it and was infinitely different from anything else. And when you have grasped that, you will see that what this man said was quite simply the most shocking thing that has ever been uttered by human lips. One part of the claim tends to slip past us unnoticed because we have heard it so often that we no longer see what it amounts to. I mean the claim to forgive sins, any sins. Now, unless the speaker is God, this is really so preposterous as to be comic. We can all understand how a man forgives offenses against himself. You tread on my toes and I forgive you. You steal my money and I forgive you. But what should we make of a man himself, unrobbed and untrodden on, who announced that he forgave you for treading on other men's toes and stealing other men's money? Asinine fatuity is the kindest dis description we should give of his conduct. Yet, this is what Jesus did. He told people that their sins were forgiven and never waited to consult all the other people whom their sins had undoubtedly injured. He unhesitatingly behaved as if he was the party, the party chief concerned, the person chiefly offended in all offenses. This makes sense only if he really was the God whose laws were broken and whose law was wounded in every sin. In the mouth of any speaker who is not God, these words would imply what I can only regard as a silliness and conceit unrivaled by any other character in history. Yet, and this is a strange, significant thing, even his enemies, when they read the Gospels, did not usually get the impression of silliness and conceit, still less do unprejudiced readers. Christ says that he is humble and meek and we believe him, not noticing that if he were merely a man, humility and meekness are the very last characteristics we could attribute to some of his sayings. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the real foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to.
Father, again, we say thank you for you being who you are and you deciding to not leave us to our own devices or even worse, potentially kill us off. You created a loophole. You yourself said that you were the loophole. We say thank you. We love you and we praise you. It is in your precious son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, I will see you. We will talk next week as we will delve into, I think it's chapter four of this. I'll see you guys then. Peace. Grace and peace.